Welcome to the Aviation Podcast. My name is Dave, a commercial pilot with a Group 1 IFR and a current CFI candidate. On today's episode, we discuss the report of the CT-114-161 Tudor, the snowbird that went down uh, just one nautical mile northeast of Kamloops in May 2020. We also discuss a late 2020 fatal collision with a power line at an Alberta aerodrome. And then we discuss PAL Airlines to service Fredericton with direct flights to Newfoundland, Ottawa and Halifax. Stick around, we have lots in store today for episode 6 of the Aviation Podcast. How's it going everybody? Welcome back to episode 6 of the Aviation Podcast. First off, just want to thank you all for being here. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey. We're six episodes in now. We're having lots of fun and learning lots and continuing to be proficient. So I just want to thank you guys for tuning in week after week for the Aviation Podcast. We have lots of stuff to go over today. Uh, Turns out we have two different fatal accidents that I wanted to bring over. Unfortunately, they were fatal. However, uh, as always, I like to try to learn something uh, if if at all possible, to become better pilots so that we can be safer every time we go up in the air. First thing that I wanted to talk about, not about the articles, but with everything going on, and I don't want to get into what's going on with uh, COVID-19 and all that stuff. I, I, I really don't. What I want to get into, though, is how is everybody staying current during these times? Forget about what's going on in the world. How are you staying proficient? Copa came out with a very neat article about this, kind of saying, you know, how do we manage this? What if you don't own an aircraft and you rent from a school? Can you still get that aircraft? And is it right to stay proficient? Here's my opinion. So I am part of a partial ownership or an association with an aircraft and that I can use freely and have been able to throughout this whole pandemic. I'm also part of a flight school doing my CFI, which uh, for only a brief period was shut down. But other than that, we were allowed to remain open. So for me, I've been able to remain proficient. However, some people have had more of an issue because they don't own an aircraft or let's say they're not even a part of a flight school. They just rent from a flight school, maybe, but they're not actually currently taking lessons. I personally find it very important to always stay proficient. I understand what's going on. You can go up solo. You don't have to go up with somebody. You can keep social distancing. Hey, you're great social distancing up in the air, in my opinion. But I think it's smart to take safety precautions uh, where they are warranted. For instance, at our flight school, we sanitize everything before and after every flight. It's now just become a normal thing. It is not an inconvenience. It takes about five minutes, and it's just part of the walk around. First thing we do, we sanitize the interior of the aircraft. We don't know who was using it last. Even though we're a small school, I do. Uh, we do know, but uh, better safe than sorry. Sanitize it, and then do our internal cabin checks, and then do our walk around. Then at that point, we then dispatch the aircraft, and we carry on from there. I do find it very, very important, uh, just to reiterate, to remain current, though, because after this is all said and done and we go back to, quote unquote, normal life, we want to make sure that we're going to be safe and proficient pilots. Now, the flight schools, we have to understand, are going to be over flooded, over full 
with new students once this is all done. I know, I know it's going to take time for the aviation industry to, to come back. Everyone keeps saying that. However, I want you guys to take a second. If you have Flight Radar 24, pop it up on your phone right now. Expand out to all of North America and let just take a look at what's going on south of the border. Now, if you if you if you've been following this back, I'm going to say three, four months ago, right across North America, we'll just focus on North America. There wasn't very many flights anywhere, anywhere. But now that they've been able to get a good vaccine rollout going and they've been able to start opening things up and going back to normal life. Look at how the aviation industry has bounced back. It is unbelievable. I haven't quite referred to this. I'm just going by my own observation. It looks like pre-COVID pilot shortage-esque type traffic. Here in Canada, there's like maybe 10, 15 aircraft. uh, I'm talking commercial airliners that are up flying. Like it's it's unbelievable how the difference that it has made. So I'm thinking, my own personal opinion, in the next year we're gonna see a huge rebound and go right back to where we were pre-COVID. I know that's optimistic. I know, and some people may not agree with me. May think that it's more of a five, ten year plan, and and they may be right. I personally think it's gonna be coming back and it's gonna come back roaring. Just talk to people about their aspirations to travel again, visit family across the border. You know, all those things are going to, as soon as it opens, it's going to be flooded. And I feel we're going to go right back to, to where we were, which is fantastic, which is great. The aviation industry needs it. And people looking to pursue a career in aviation need that as well. It's really unfortunate. I I experienced it with my old flight instructor. He got hired by a regional carrier. And within what seemed like months of after his initial training, he was furloughed because of the shutdowns. So this guy went from being a, a great flight instructor, very busy, into making the jump, going to the airlines, and then has nothing left. Couldn't be a flight instructor again because the flight schools are going, well, why would we hire you back? You just left. Right? Airlines, you can't go anywhere else. No one's hiring. And if they were hiring, they're going to hire someone with a heck of a lot more experience than them. So everybody, from those people to the new students wanting to get into aviation, we need this to bounce back. And I and I really feel like it's going to happen. But I digress. Ultimately, this all came from staying current, staying proficient, and being good pilots. So I try to aim for at least once every week, once every two weeks to even just get up, shake the rust off. Some people need more, some people do less. However, that's kind of my thing. Two weeks is what I like. I've gone as much as a month uh, sometimes with bad weather. You know, that all depends on where you live. Sometimes you run into that stuff. So with that said, let's move on to the CT-114 161 accident uh, snowbird in uh, Kamloops, BC. So the accident with the CT 114 Tudor in Kamloops Airport, BC. 
The accident involved a CT-114 Tudor aircraft from the Canadian Armed Forces Air Demonstration Team Snowbirds, en route to Como, BC, to reposition in support of Operation Inspiration. The aircraft was number two of a formation of two Tudor aircraft. Following takeoff, a loud impact sound was heard by both occupants and the aircraft then experienced a loss of thrust. The pilot initiated a climb straight ahead and then elected to carry out a left-hand turn back towards the airport. The maneuver resulted in an aerodynamic stall halfway through the turn before the pilot gave the order to abandon the aircraft. Both occupants subsequently ejected and the aircraft was destroyed upon impact within a residential area. The passenger was fatally injured and the pilot received serious injuries. Evidence gathered during the investigation revealed that both occupants' ejected sequence were outside the ejection envelope. DNA evidence collected from the engine's internal components confirmed that the ingestion of the bird that was witnessed in the video evidence. However, the damage caused was insufficient to cause catastrophic failure. Rather, it resulted in a compressor stall which was never cleared. The investigation recommends a directive be published which outlines the air crew's priority where an emergency takeoff or landing phase occurs and has the potential of result in ejection near or over a populated area. The investigation also recommends further training on engine-related emergencies be practiced in the takeoff-slash-low-level environment. It is also recommended that the practice of storing items between the ejection seat and the airframe wall cease immediately. Finally, further research is recommended into the potential that this uh, that would stabilize the CT-114 ejection seat from any tendency to pitch, roll, or yaw immediately following its departure from the ejection seat rails. So this was a tragic accident. This was very tragic that uh, killed Jen Casey. And if anybody had the chance to meet her, everyone spoke so highly of how amazing she was. And I don't want to bring this up to bring back any bad memories of uh, to, to the family or of the accident. This is strictly to discuss the accident now that instead of speculation, it's what actually did happen and how we can be better as pilots, even though we're not flying jet aircraft, but how we could be better and what we could take away from it. In this situation, this is such a rare occurrence that a bird gets ingested, cause a compressor stall, uh, requiring an ejection. It's not a very common thing that happens. And was the pilot's idea of turning back uh, the right thing? Possibly. The people who fly these aircraft, uh, the Snowbirds, the Tudor uh, CT-114s, are very, very talented and skilled pilots. So if if that pilot felt that turning back to the airport was the right move, I have there's no part of me that doubts their decision to do that. Uh, I think that any of us, our natural instinct would be to go back. He just lost thrust. He didn't lose a wing. Like it wasn't, you know, he lost thrust. Okay, turn around. And you have to remember he's in formation. So first thing, okay, something happened, you break formation. He broke the formation the way he normally would. However, he was having a compress- compressor stall. Did he realize that right away? I don't know. Did he even realize he lost thrust? I don't know. He just heard a bang. So 
if he heard a bang and said, you know what, we need to check this out. We need to break formation and figure this out. But pitched up and made that left-hand turn, which is what he was trained to do. Now he's flying low level, low speed, nose high attitude, which comes to a critical angle of attack, causes the stall. So what does this what does this tell us? Now, obviously, we're not taking off like a Tudor aircraft. We're not taking off like a fighter jet. If we're flying general aviation aircraft, it's a pretty docile takeoff. But what if your engine died and you're 200 feet above the ground? Remember back to your PPL training if you've gone that far. And the first, well, one of the first briefings that you learn is what you're going to tell your your passenger as you're approaching the runway. Okay, this is going to be a normal takeoff. We're going to take off. We're going to climb out. And if something is to happen, we're going to land straight ahead. Now, I don't know the Kamloops airport. I've never flown there. But it sounds like it was a built-up area. So is that even an option? Is it an option to land straight ahead? Maybe they had to turn back, right? I always like to have this discussion, especially while flying in our area over the Toronto uh, city skyline. While you're flying over the city skyline at either 2,000 or 2,500 feet, depending on if you're going east or west, what if you lost your engine? Where are you going? Are you going to go in the lake? Is that really a good decision, especially if you're flying a 172? You're flying a 172 and you, you just put sunk yourself underwater and now you're trying to get out of that in freezing cold water? No, thank you. You know, if you're in a low-wing aircraft, sure. You just got yourself a little bit of a pontoon boat and away you go. Could you make it to the island airport? Probably not. Probably not. Depending on where you are, probably not, though. And you got one shot. If you mess it up, you're you're in the water. So these are all the things that we want to think about. What would we do? So in this situation, could this pilot have thought, hey, you know what? What if we ingested a bird and we had a compression compress compressor stall? Sorry. Where would we land? And maybe he did, and maybe this was the decision that was going to be made. Again, it was a series of very unfortunate events that had a fatal outcome, and we can sit back and armchair quarterback all we want. I personally look at it and say, you know what? We're all we're all human, and we all have to make a decision. Split second. He had milliseconds, not seconds, milliseconds to make a decision. Was it the right one? Who knows? I agree with his decision. I think it was the right decision. Unfortunately, it ended fatal. Um, but there wasn't much that they could do. They were outside of the ejection seat envelope, which is actually lower than an average tutor. The tutors are retrofitted with a different ejection seat setup so that they can eject quicker and at lower altitudes because of what the nature of what they do. If this was a CF-18, this could be a total... Let's say hypothetically there was two people in it and there was a trainer. Both people could have been deceased. This unfortunately probably ended bad for the passenger because the pilot will eject first. The way that the sequence works. So it's very sad. But again, I just want to reiterate. Remember to always run over your emergency procedures. We all become complacent. I'll be the first one to say it. We all have uneventful takeoffs until that bad one happens. 
But what makes you a good pilot is to know what to do when those situations arise. So let's just be better. Let's do better and become safer for both us and for our families and for our friends that rely on us for being there. Next thing that we're going to go into, we're going to make it a little bit lighter on this one. That's uh, PAL Airlines, PAL Airlines to service Fredericton with direct flights to Newfoundland, Ottawa and Halifax. This announcement marks the first ever offering of direct flights from Frederick, Fredericton to Newfoundland. This article was found on CanadianAviationNews.com. PAL Airlines will be offering flights from Fredericton to Deer Lake and St. John's, Newfoundland starting May 31st. A Newfoundland-based airline will service the Fredericton International Airport with direct flights to Deer Lake and St. John's starting May 31st. PAL Airlines announced Wednesday it would offer three weekly flights to both cities, marking the first time Fredericton has ever had direct flights to Newfoundland. This is a long time coming, and we're confident that there's a demand for this, said Fredericton Airport CEO Joanne Gallant. We're really pleased to see that PAL Airlines is willing to take this on. Joanne Gallant is the CEO of Fredericton International Airport. The airline will also offer three weekly direct flights from Fredericton to Ottawa and Halifax beginning August 2nd. Gallant said the addition of services is a sign of recovery for the aviation industry, which was paralyzed by the pandemic restrictions. With plans for Atlantic Bubble to reopen on April 19th, she said the flights to Newfoundland and Halifax will provide New Brunswickers access to some prime tourist destinations. We really see, for the summer, great leisure opportunities. People from here wanting to do something different, and Newfoundland has such a great tourism product, said Galan. The Fredericton Airport just underwent a major renovation. She said the flights to Halifax will fill the demand for corporate flyers and students, which was left unserviced when Air Canada halted all flights from the airport in January. No one from Powell Airlines was available for interview with CBC News on Wednesday, but the company provided an emailed statement. We understand giving people the ability to get into and out of the region reliably and efficiently is going to be essential to post-pandemic recovery. So this is fantastic news. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, I think that things are going to come flying back, no pun intended, when restrictions start lifting. I think a lot of people are going to be flying the demand is going to be huge and we're going to come come back roaring. So that's great to hear about the airport in Newfoundland and Fredericton. And it'll be nice to see Powell Airlines uh, jumping in on that. So that's great. Next thing I wanted to talk about, aviation career and scholarships. If anybody here is a new student or either currently working on a a rating or a license or is thinking about doing it in the future, I highly, highly suggest becoming a member of COPA National. So copanational.org is the website. And they have a whole section that is based on scholarships. Now, if you're from somewhere like, say, British Columbia, British Columbia Aviation Council, BCAC, has a ton of awards specifically for members of BCAC. So you could check into that, which has career training awards, memorial awards, all different types of uh, of awards and scholarships that can help you subsidize your flight training. We all know that's very expensive. 
There's also some that go right across the country. Jazz has a big part of that. The Lift Award has that. There's also the Webster Memorial Trophy. That's a great one as well. There's some helicopter training scholarships as well. Aviation maintenance, operations, and women's scholarships. So the 99s scholarship for women's uh, for women. You can check that out on there. And uh, also the Whirly Girls Scholarship for Female Helicopter Pilots. So check them out. It's fantastic. I wish I knew about them when I was getting into aviation. Unfortunately, I didn't get to take advantage of these. However, if I can pass along any information to you, it would be to check that out. I believe you can check it with out without being a member because I don't feel like I'm logged into the website here. Uh, but it's COPA, C-O-P-A, national.org. Last news article we wanted to go over is the Transportation Safety Board report on the late 2020 fatal collision with power lines at the Alberta Aerodrome, or at a Alberta Aerodrome. This as well was found on copanational.org. Transportation Safety Board of Canada on March 3rd released its investigation report, uh, which is, uh, if you want to look it up and follow along, it's 820W0072. So that's Alpha 20Whiskey0072. So they released the investigational report into the September 26, 2020, excuse me, 2020 collision with a power line of a privately registered Harman Rocket 2 aircraft at the Huggett Goodwood Field Aerodrome in Alberta. The Transportation Safety Board conducted a limited scope fact gathering investigation into this occurrence, which claimed the lives of it, of the two occupants. In its report, Transportation Safety Board explains the Harman Rocket 2 Amateur-built aircraft at about 1317, departed from Rocky Mountain House Aerodrome, which is Charlie Yankee Romeo Mike, Alberta, for a flight to Huggett Goodwood Field Aerodrome, which is Charlie Golf Foxtrot 5, where the aircraft arrived at 1337 and proceeded to do two circuits around the field, given that the pilot had never been to this location. After the second circuit, Transportation Safety Board explains the aircraft turned left, descended to approximately 25 feet above the ground level, and flew over the racetrack straight away from north to south. Based on videos recorded by observers on the ground, the Transportation Safety Board notes, at the south end of the straightway, the aircraft initiated a climb and struck the two uh, the upper of two wires. The aircraft pitched up steeply, according to the TSB, climbed to approximately 700 feet while rolling right to an almost inverted attitude and changing heading to the west. When the aircraft began to descend, TSB explains it rolled left to a wings level attitude and continued to descend until it struck the ground in a 40 degrees nose down attitude. There was a post-fire impact or post-impact fire which consumed most of the aircraft with the two occupants fatally injured. TSB notes no ELT signal was detected and the ELT was destroyed in the fire. So this is very sad that that this happened and the two people passed away. Uh, it's yeah, it's really too bad. If you go on to the the TSB website and you look up Alpha 20 Whiskey 0072, uh, you can read the full history of the flight, uh, which is exactly what we went over there. It has a good map of everything that was going on. Uh, just for your information, the weather information at 1300, the Airdrome Routine Meteorological Report from Edmonton Airport, CYEG, 21 nautical miles to the east of the Airdrome, 
was wind from 320 true at 19 knots with gusts to 26 knots. Visibility was 20 statute miles. Broken ceiling at 6,000 feet AGL with additional broken layers at 8,000 and third uh, correction, 23,000 feet AGL. Temperature was 16 degrees Celsius with a dew point of negative one. Altimeter setting 2966 inches of mercury. Weather was not considered a factor in this accident. I think that's very cut and dry from reading that weather information from Edmonton Airport. Just some information on the aircraft. The Harman Rocket 2 is an amateur-built aircraft that was created by modifying a Vans Aircraft RV-4. The Harman kit provides the installation of a larger engine by widening the fuselage and lengthening the RV-4 by 18 inches. The wing is modified. The landing gear material and placement is also changed to accommodate the larger engine. The aircraft has a relatively high power to rate weight ratio that leads to performance suitable for uh, advanced aerobatic flight. The occurrence aircraft was equipped with a, a Lyoming IO540 engine and dual control sticks. However, all other engine and flight controls were installed for the forward seat only. The aircraft was used regularly at air shows across Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. The occupant information, the pilot held an ATPL air, uh, airplane license, endorsed for single and multi-engine aircraft, and for gliders. He also obtained a type rating for the Harman Rocket II. His medical certificate was valid for personal uh, type of flight undertaken. The pilot's personal logbook was partially destroyed in the post-impact fire. However, the last legible entry recorded that he accumulated uh, 4,568.1 total hours as of February 21st. The pilot was a well-known airshow performer and held a level one uh, statement of aerobatic competency, which authorized him to perform unrestricted aerobatic maneuvers at any altitude. The pastor did hold a private pilot's license. So this was a pilot that was very, very, very experienced especially in aerobatic maneuvers we always wonder what what went wrong well it just was power lines the pilot really didn't do much wrong he didn't know the area and hit power lines you can't see power lines while you're flying you really can't it's difficult sometimes you can use them for dead reckoning and and navigation but you're looking down on them and you can see them in contrast to the ground when you're at 25 feet AGL looking up, you do not see them in the sky. And they're coming very fast. That's a high performance aircraft. So it's very sad. The top wire, uh, it says here, was at 32 feet. So that was above him. There's no way he would have been able to see that. Uh, the cars state that no person shall operate an aircraft in such reckless or negligent manner to the endanger the likely uh, or likely to endanger the life of property or any person. In some cases, low-level flight is required for certain activities, though, right? Aerial work, external load operations, wildlife uh, surveying, pipeline, all of that. However, regarding minimum altitudes and distances flown over non-built-up areas, the cars state that except when we're conducting a takeoff, approach, or landing, or we're permitted under Section 602.15, no person shall operate an aircraft at a distance vertical or lateral less than 500 feet from any person, vessel, vehicle, or structure. These, This going on in here with this car statement, I don't know if that's too prevalent to what's going on here. It looks like this, this gentleman was flying low. He's used to that, uh, but didn't know the area. So make sure if you're going to be doing low flying, if it's legal for you, make sure you know the area. 
scope the area, look for power lines. Some power lines aren't on, well, actually most power lines aren't on your maps. So it's tough to go off of that. You got to know the area. And also let's, okay, let's face it. How high are power lines? Let's not worry about towers. Towers are a different beast than they're normally on your map. Power lines. Let's say at most they're maybe, th- maybe 50 feet. Okay. So we really need to make sure that we are flying above 50 feet AGL if we don't know the area. I'm saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about just like buzzing around. I'm talking about near the air, airport. Let's say you need to get down low and you need to check it. Let's say you got pushed way down. Clouds are low. Uh, there's no instrument approach. You did an instrument approach somewhere else. You're below minimums. Okay, yeah. Or you're you're above minimums. You saw that uh, the runway. Okay, good. Now you're going to scud run back to the other airport and you're really low, but you don't know the area. We want to make sure that we're going to be safe doing that. And if that's pushing you 50 feet above the ground or so, and, and this is unrelated to what, what happened. I'm just discussing hypotheticals here. Make sure that you can have yourself at a safe altitude that you are going to be able to avoid power lines or low-lying towers. There's certain things that you may not see. What if there's a water tower? Water towers are pretty tall, maybe 50 feet, 60 feet. Maybe some are even 100 feet. Like, I don't know. But they're not always on a on a map, right? Because they're, they don't have to be. So let's just, let's all just try to take something from this and not let this, this uh, pilot die in vain and learn something from the situation, which in this case, let's try to just fly within, if we're going to be flying to the, the, let's say the edge of the envelope of our limits, make sure we know the area. Let's be safe. Let's not put anybody in danger for a little bit of good time. Hey, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love, I love having my, my heart pumping, but I do have a kid and I do have a wife that rely on me and we have to remember that. So anyways, that's it for this week, guys. If again, if you have any questions or feedback, I would love to love to love to hear from you. Email me at the aviation podcast. So exactly as how the title of this podcast is the aviation podcast at gmail.com. And I will read your questions, comments, concerns on an upcoming episode. So as always, stay safe. Thank you so much for listening and stopping by. And I can't wait to hear from you all in the email. Stay safe. Keep the blue side up. And let's stay current, guys. Take care.